The LexisNexis Emerging Issues Law Community Podcast. Presentations and interviews with leading attorneys and industry professionals. On this edition, Stephen Brotherton of Fragman Del Rey, Bernson & Lowy in San Francisco. On new regulations and form I-129 petitions for non-immigrant workers involving export licenses and the release of workplace technologies. The opinions expressed by guests interviewed on LexisNexis legal podcasts do not necessarily reflect those of Reed Elsevier Incorporated, LexisNexis, subsidiary companies, shareholders, employees, or customers, and should not be considered legal advice. Stephen Brotherton is a partner in the firm Fragman Del Rey, Bernson & Lowy in San Francisco. He manages the firm's Export Controls Practice Group, which advises clients on U.S. export control laws, including those involving the transfer of technologies to foreign nationals. In the area of deemed exports, Mr. Brotherton regularly conducts export control license analyses, prepares and files deemed export license applications, and develops deemed export compliance programs for both academic institutions and corporate clients. He also represents clients in enforcement actions. Mr. Brotherton, thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you. Looking forward to discussing these new requirements. These are new requirements for employers in the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services Form I-129 Non-Immigrant Visa Petition. What's changed? Yeah, well, the most significant change was the addition of uh, what we're referring to as an export control certification. So for the first time, companies will have to certify that they've reviewed the export control regulations and then determine whether an export license is required to transfer technology or technical data to the foreign national worker. And then the company has to answer a question. The new questions are indicating two things. One is whether an export license is required. So you would either state no export license is required, or the other option is that an export license is required, and essentially that you're promising not to transfer control technology to the foreign national until an export license is obtained. Well, let's talk about a couple of scenarios. Uh, say you have a foreign national worker located in the United States. How is an export then taking place? I think that's one of the, the most difficult concepts that people have with this particular area of law. So a foreign national residing in the United States, um, when you transfer technology, technical data, know-how, ideas to that individual, that's considered to be an export to that individual's home country. And the thought is, is that individual can require technical know-how in the United States and may return to their home country and apply that technology in their home country. So the U.S. government wants some oversight of what is being transferred to foreign nationals, and that's what this area relates to. Well, the new certification describes a release of technology or technical data to the foreign national. What is a release? Well, a release can happen in a number of different ways, um, and it's really, you, you break it down simply, it's really any forum where you can provide know-how, knowledge, technical data to a foreign national. So that could be a presentation. It could be training. It could be just over the airwaves, just as like we're having right now. It could be passing ideas and, and information to you. And if you were a foreign national, that would be an export. Um, emails, faxes, essentially any way where you can provide technology technical data, ideas to a foreign national, that would be a release and therefore an export. 
Well, are the damned export rules a, a new requirement? You know, that's one of the, the questions that, that I'm getting quite a bit is, well, this form goes into effect. Um, companies have until February 20th to, to complete the export, where they have to start completing the export control certification. Um, but one of the questions that we get is, is this requirement new? Um, and, in fact, it's not. Uh, the deemed export regulations, and they exist under two different uh, sets of regulations, those have been around for quite some time. In fact, I goes back to the to the 90s um, and even earlier in some cases uh, it's just a matter now that employers have to certify that they're complying with these laws well, why is this requirement being introduced now well one of the things that the the government found and specifically there was a 2002 government accounting office report that found that the agencies were not doing a good job of identifying whether foreign nationals required export licenses, and specifically they weren't, they weren't monitoring that during the visa process. So the, there were recommendations to, to improve that and, and also to further educate the public. Um, and that education has increased over the last number of years. But there was a delay from putting new questions on the I-129, um, and it just came out just recently in the past few months. And we expect that this was related to perhaps a follow-up by the GAO to ask what had been done. And when they said uh, nothing had been implemented in the visa process, this is where we started to see this new recommendation. Now's the time, then. Now is the time. Do we need to ensure deemed export control compliance for all foreign national workers or just for the foreign national who's covered by the non-immigration visa petition? Yeah, so, so who's covered right now, just to touch on that briefly, is the requirement pertains, uh, you have to make the certification when you're filing an I-129 for certain H, L, and O visa petitions. Now, the requirement, deemed export requirement, applies to anybody who's considered to be a foreign national, but you're only having to make the certification related to the H, L, and O petitions. Um, now, the term foreign national is considered anybody who is not a U.S. citizen or national, a lawful permanent resident, asylee, a refugee, or certain temporary residents granted amnesty back in the 1980s. And everybody outside of that category is a foreign national. So you could certainly have individuals within your work environment, foreign nationals, in fact, that are receiving controlled technology, and you're not having to make a certification related to those individuals. So what I have encouraged companies to do where this is new is not only focus on those petitions where you're having to make the certification, but really look at your entire foreign national population to ensure you're in compliance generally. I understand that the export license requirements are based in part on a foreign national's home country. How is home country defined? There's, there's two different definitions to make this uh, more confusing. One of the one of the regulations, the Export Administration regulations, uh, which covers commercial technologies and dual-use technologies, defines home country as the last acquired citizenship or lawful permanent residency. So, you let's say you have an individual who was born in Iran, moves to Germany, obtains lawful permanent residency in Germany, and then moves to the United States. That in individual, for purposes of export licensing, would be considered German instead of Iranian. So that's that's an instance where Germany is treated much more favorably than Iran, and 
it may not require a license in that uh, scenario. Well, which technologies are subject to export controls? Well, the technologies that are subject to export controls are, you know, the, there's the distinction between being subject to export controls and being a control technology. So most technologies, except those that are publicly available, are subject to U.S. export control laws. So those are technologies generated in the United States, um, proprietary uh, technologies. So those are potentially subject to export requirements. So the the exercise to determine whether you're working with controlled technologies is then to look at the regulations, and one is the Export Administration regulations that I mentioned earlier. The the other is the International Traffic and Arms Regulations, which is ITAR, and to determine whether you're working with technologies that are listed on the respective control list under each regulation. And it's a matter of looking at something very technical in nature. Often can be very confusing to the the first-time person looking at these highly technical lists. But after that exercise, you'll be able to identify whether you're working with controlled technologies. And if you identify that you're working with controlled technologies, there's also mechanisms to determine which home countries require an export license. So after the exercise, let's say you go go through the control list and you, and you identify that, let's say you're working with con, uh, technologies that are controlled for foreign nationals having a home country of China. Well, the, the natural next question is, well, what do you do? One option, of course, is to obtain a license. Now, this is a matter of explaining what technology, control technology, you plan to transfer to the individual, um, providing it biographical information about the individual, and filing it uh, with a couple different agencies, Department of Commerce, Bureau of Industry and Security administers the EAR, um, the Department of State, Director of Defense Trade Controls administers the ITAR. So depending on which technology you're working with, you would apply to those agencies using an export license. Are foreign nationals from certain countries more likely to require a deemed export license? There are. There, there's, there are so, some countries that are more highly controlled, and we see more licenses required uh, for somewhat innocuous technologies than others. Um, the first group of countries that is more likely than others to require a license is Cuba, Iran, North Korea, Sudan, and Syria. There's another middle tier of cascading countries uh, that you know you have to work with some more sophisticated technologies, but all that that's in terms of these control lists. And that middle tier is China, Russia, a number of the former Soviet republics. Um, and then, of course, there's another tier as well as essentially everybody else. And, and we don't see a whole lot of license applications, uh, licenses required for individuals from countries such as Canada or the UK, but it does happen in some instances. So it's, it, it, it's, there is a low threshold of countries that require a license, um, but, but really any of them uh, potentially could require a license. Well, let's say your company already has a deemed export license for a foreign national employee. What happens if the foreign national's job changes or he or she is exposed to different technologies other than those for which the organization obtained a license? This is one of the most difficult aspects of, of, these, uh, of a compliance program in this area because it's not only what the individual will initially work with. So let's say you get a license for them to 
work with technology A. Well, over the course of their employment, they could touch on new technologies or the company could get new areas of technology um, and they could end up working on, let's say, technology B that is controlled. So you would need to obtain a new export license to ensure that that new controlled technology B is also covered. Talk about how the deemed export rules affect a foreign national's ability to uh, enter the United States. Well, one of the one of the questions, so after you go through the, let's just take it in an employment context. So after you go through the process of petitioning for a visa, and let's say it's it's uh, approved, then the, the foreign national would need to enter the United States. And when they're doing so, they're going to an embassy or a U.S. consulate, and they're applying for their visa. And during that visa uh, application process, that there are questions that do come up about whether the export control, there could perhaps be export control issues when the the individual enters the United States. So there is a process, it's, it's, it's a screening process uh, known as the visus mantis, where the consular officer will review the technology areas that the individual will work on and determine whether they could be potential export control issues. So that's, if, if there is, uh, they would seek agency input from, from Washington, uh, D.C., and then await that input before uh, approving uh, the visa. So there, there could be some delays associated with that, so there, and there could be, you know, even a worst-case scenario, denials, um, and also review of the, their, their company or their, their potential employer. So there are those situations that would prevent entry in the United States if there was found to be an export control issue. I assume there are penalties for violation of export control rules. What are some of those penalties? So the penalties can be significant. They can range up to $250,000, per instance, under the Export Administration regulations. And and that's just for strict liability. That's where you you didn't know you needed a license, but you, you had a violation nonetheless. And criminal penalties under those laws, that's where you knew you needed a license, but you didn't obtain one. Those range up to $1 million, per instance, and up to 20 years imprisonment. On the other hand, the military technologies, military space technologies under the ITAR, penalties under those regulations are up to $500,000 for strict liability, and that's for civil violations, and up to $1 million in 10 years imprisonment for willful violations as are criminal penalties. Certainly. They can be hefty penalties then. They can. You get a sense that uh, enforcement of these regulations uh, could be stepped up? Well, the enforcement has changed somewhat over the past 10 years. Let's go back to the late 90s. If you look for a case, you'd be very hard-pressed to find uh, a, a deemed export enforcement case. The most significant one was there was 2001 where there was a company in California that had transferred technology to a Chinese national employee, in fact, multiple Chinese national employees. And the president was indicted and later went to, to prison for, for violations of the deemed export rules. So that, that somewhat took industry by surprise and caught a lot of people's uh, attention and, and more compliance was initiated. But there was also more enforcement that followed. You know, Now we can go back and and look at the, the cases, you find a number of household company names that have penalties associated with not obtaining 
a deemed export license when they were required to do so. I guess it's just in a company's best interest to remain diligent and, and aware of all those things and, and, and be up on, uh, on these issues. Yeah, and there's, if you think about that, there's a, there's a couple of different reasons. So obviously, you want to be a good corporate citizen, comply with the laws, but you know, these laws are also enacted for national security reasons. And certainly for that that reason alone, knowing what if you have control technology in the company is is not only important to your company, maybe from a proprietary reason, but also from the United States for those national security reasons. To help assist a company in, in determining whether a deemed export license is required, what, what resources are available? What government agency resources specifically? Well, there's a few different resources publicly. You can go to the agency websites, that's the U.S. Department of Commerce, Bureau of Industry and Security, or the U.S. Department of State, Director of Defense Trade Controls, and each have information about these export control requirements as it relates to foreign nationals. The Department of Commerce has very detailed questions about technology transfers to foreign nationals, what it means, how to define home country, how to apply for an export license application. So there's good information along that line available directly from the agencies themselves. In addition, we expect that shortly that the Department of Commerce will be providing specific frequently asked questions on the I-129 export control certification. So that's something that we're looking forward to. And we also uh, have been working directly with the Department of Commerce to develop uh, those questions to make sure they're addressing the industry concerns. And with all of your experience and expertise, you and the Export Controls Practice Group at Fragabin have also made information available on the firm's website. That's right. So this is a, uh, we've been getting quite a number of questions and a, I think a common theme of questions. And we want to ensure that not only our clients, but our friends are have this information, basic information about uh, export control. And we have various information pieces on our website. We have our own FAQs. We have uh, a short uh, video on the topic. And uh, streaming uh, observations is somewhat of our own blog uh, on develops in this, this area, all of which can be found on the fragment.com website. And specifically fragment.com slash export controls. That's correct. In conclusion, what takeaways would you have for someone listening to this as far as a practice tip is concerned? Well, one of the things that that I would suggest is that it's somewhat easy, I think, in thinking about this as a high level, to look at a client and think, well, they don't have any controlled technologies. We're going to tell them not to worry about it. And I caution against doing that. In some cases, we, after working with companies for, for quite some time, we've discovered that they do, in fact, work with some controlled technologies. So it's it, it, even though that the answer may be obvious, still it's worth going through the exercise of looking at the control list and determining how they apply and not just make an assumption that uh, there's certainly no way that, that those could apply to your client. Certainly important issues to a company and, and, and ones that could be around for a while. Well, it, we'll, we'll see how it continues to unfold. You know, with the, I think it will be certainly the, the requirements, the underlying deemed export requirements will be around. And I would expect that the focus on enforcement will continue to increase. Um, so it's a good idea to ensure that you're in a good position, uh, that your compliance program is in a good position uh, with respect to these rules. Appreciate your time and uh, 
discussing some of these issues and the new regulations. And thank you for being part of this podcast. Thank you. Happy to participate. Stephen Brotherton of Fragment in San Francisco. Thank you for listening to this LexisNexis Legal Podcast. Visit the LexisNexis communities at www.lexisnexis.com slash community. The LexisNexis Emerging Issues Law Community Podcast. Copyright 2011 by LexisNexis, a division of Reed Elsevier Incorporated. I'm Steve Bursler. Thank you for listening.